0: Brilliant, take a seat will you, grab all your Bibles, lovely. So turn up Acts chapter 5 if you would please, Uh, I think that's page uh, 771 on church Bibles, lovely. Good stuff, well listen if you're anything like me, you need, well I know what the Bible says about you and me, the Bible says about you and me that we need spiritual encouragement every day, don't we? We live in a world that just wants to go quiet about spiritual things and find life in almost anything else. And yet God is a God who speaks. He penetrates into worlds full of that sort of treacle of nothingness that we're asked to live for. And he says, this is who I am. So pray with me now that that's what we'll find as we dig into God's word. I'm excited about what we're looking at today. and I'm hoping it'll just just be fit for your soul today. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, please help us as we open your word today to see glorious things in it that both build our faith and prompt us to have more faith. Uh, Lord, we we heard in past weeks, haven't we, that we're either missionaries or a mission field. And we pray, Lord, that you'd have us land where you want us to land on that one today. So please be with us as we open your word that we may be encouraged in heart, moved to obedience and full of worship for the precious and glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Brilliant. Okay, so we're in Acts chapter 5. Are we good to go? Do you need a... Are you alright, Matthew? You've got a Bible? You're good to go? go. You're just like one of those sort of old gentlemen really late at night who wander the streets randomly and nobody knows where they're going. Lovely. Listen, uh, I don't know whether you know this. Uh, some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, Jason, this summer was dragged away on beach missions for the first time. Did you enjoy it? Woo! He enjoyed it. Okay, he wasn't the only one. Um, so Kaylee was there. She's despite being off to help with the kids. Bethany was there. Becky was there. And amongst the many things that they have to do on beach missions, is everybody on that team gets an opportunity to go and stand on the box. You know, in the open air interviewed about their faith in jesus imagine that as crowds are walking by most of whom just want to eat their ice creams Uh, what was that like for you jason tell me what was that like for you it was all right like okay did you have any fear in doing it at all any worries whatsoever you're a freak (laughs) okay bethany how did you feel about doing that nervous okay becky how did you feel about that it was fun was it okay okay then you lot are all really super spiritual because i'm terrified because i hate being ignored i hate being laughed at and i hate being thought weird and the vast majority of people who walked by just had this total indifference to anything we were doing about trying to lift up the name of jesus and encourage people to think about him their way of saying shut up wasn't um shut up it just went like this Okay, because as far as our culture is concerned, there is no power, no significance, no oomph whatsoever in the Lord Jesus. And therefore, you are either going to be politely ignored, or if you push it a bit too far, then you will just be asked to shut up. And of course, we had that when we were on beach teams as well. When we we're on beach teams, we were asked to shut up, stop talking about Jesus, do the games with the kids, have fun, don't talk any more about him. In fact, there's certain beaches around the country where we've been asked that we not to go there, and we've been in conflict with some of the local authorities. Who, even though we've been doing stuff with beach missions there for decades, uh, no some jobs worth it. With the clipboard says, no, no, this is not what we want. We want holiday makers who come and spend lots of money, who have lots of fun, and they really don't like hearing about Jesus. So go away, please now maybe that's a bit closer to home for you we get sometimes we get the same don't we In speak kids or wednesday club or welcome club or the fellas lunch we put on all these things for 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 people to be involved with um and the take-up is just you want to stop speaking sometimes don't you because you just feel like nobody's listening nobody cares and if you push it too much they just say shut up go away there is no power in the name of jesus we don't want to go there we just want to carry on with our life recently at stockton wood school where our kids go some, some of your kids go as well um We've actually got restricted access compared to last year and the year before at doing assemblies because a couple of parents have got their bee in the bonnet hearing that there are assemblies full of the Lord Jesus that get done by me from time to time and they've gone in and complained. And therefore it is now more difficult for us to go in because there are people on our estate who don't want to hear about the name of Jesus. I think it's getting harder to speak. It's hard enough to be motivated to speak about Jesus when think people are willing to listen, but when people aren't willing to listen, it's even harder, isn't it? So why bother? And I mean, some of you in here don't even bother yet at all. OK? Hopefully by the end of this half hour, 40 minutes, that will have changed. But why keep going? Why keep pressing out? Will we allow ourselves to be silenced? What will keep us? Speaking, and I'm so glad we've got to this little bit here in the book of Acts because there's a dose of realism. And listen, I don't, I, some of you forget within half an hour of hearing what we've talked about. I want to make it really difficult for you to do that today, okay? What we're going to see is three little scenes in this story that all give us the same information. It's this expect opposition, God rules through it, so keep on speaking about Jesus. That's going to come up in each of the three stories, okay? So let's get, have a look at that. Expect opposition. God rules through it, so keep speaking about Jesus. Can I say that again? I just really need you to get this, okay? Well, you tell me, what am I about to say? Expect opposition. God rules through it, so keep speaking about Jesus. Okay, should we see these three scenes? Lovely. Uh, somebody read for us again, will you? Nice and loudly, verses 12 through to 21. Somebody read nice and loudly, verses 12 through to 21. Let's see this in action. Expect opposition. God will rule through it and keep so keep speaking about Jesus. Who's gonna read that bit for us? Don't mind who does it? Nice and loud. Then the high priest and all his associates. They arrested the apostles in the public jail. During the night an angel of the Lord Those found in the temple. been told, and began to teach the people. The high priest and his associates. Brilliant. Thank you for reading that. That's fine. We'll stop there. Okay. So, what we've got is we've got again what happened just a couple of chapters ago that we looked at, where the Jewish establishment didn't like the message of Jesus, so they're acting to try and stop it. But look at verse 17. The high priest and all his associates, okay, all the people who sit in the place of power who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with what? Jealousy. Why? Why were they filled with jealousy? because their power base was being threatened it's because of what was happening in verses 12 through to 16 can you see that people are getting new life the apostle performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people all the believers used to meet together in solomon's colonnade no one else dared join them even though they were highly regarded by the people nevertheless more and more men and women believed in the lord and were added to their number they were getting new life What was the flavour and the direction of that new life? Verse 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem. Do you remember at the beginning of the book of Acts? You will be my witnesses, first of all in Jerusalem, and then where? Jerusalem, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and then on to the ends of the earth, which we know speak. Okay, so here are the people from Judah coming in. And they're receiving new life through this message. This is the way that the Jewish authorities were supposed to be. The nation of Israel was supposed to be this light to the nations, bringing peace and hope. And new life, and instead, what all they were doing was consolidating their power base. So God's plans and purposes get moved to those who are carrying the gospel message about Jesus. And here it is: these high, these high priests and his cronies and their uh, political buddies at the Sadducees were getting left behind. Now, we need to see here that verse 15 and 16 is a picture of what happens when Jesus' kingdom breaks in. Verse 16, crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem bring their sick and those tormented by the evil spirits, and all of them were healed. When the power of Jesus breaks in, sin and all that sin breaks starts to get reversed. And we see this. Notice it was the apostles doing all these miraculous signs. It wasn't just your average Christians there. It was them who were leading this charge. They're doing what Jesus did when he was around in the flesh. Do you see that? Now, so we're supposed to look at this and go, hold on, church. Uh, Signs and miracles. Are we lacking some of those in our church? Because we haven't had oodles and oodles of them. There was a dude a few years ago. Uh, who uh, he was very prominent Christian guy Christian brother but was absolutely convinced that signs and miracles were, should be the normal thing in every church Sunday by Sunday. His name was John Wimber. Wrote a whole stack of books. One of which was called Power Evangelism. So he said, don't expect uh, don't expect people to come to faith unless you've got signs and miracles going on right there. What are we to make of this? Okay, should we expect these kind of signs and wonders in in church life all the time? Uh, can I say? I'm a cheat. No and yes. Okay. Steve, what do you mean? Okay. No. Why is that? Because the apostles were the only ones doing these. The apostles were marked out with a unique uh, ministry as those who were the first order carriers of the Christian message to the world. It validated them and their message. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, look at it later, says that these are the things that mark out an apostle. Signs, wonders and miracles. They were particularly validated. And so you say, hold on, have we got these same signs, wonders and miracles? Answer, yes we have. Because we've got them every week in church in the book. We know that the message of the apostles is authentic and real because we have the record of God validating them. Okay, So do we expect the same kind of signs, wonders and miracles week by week in church or through the Christian community? We don't expect that as much. We don't need them to do evangelism with. But you said, you said no, what about yes? We, the Bible tells us that God can heal and do wonderful miracles, great signs with whoever he wants. In fact, there's encouragement in the New Testament to pray for such things as that. But they never come with a sense of we can't do evangelism without them. And they never come with a guarantee because God is the one who is sovereign. He doesn't guarantee or promise to heal us if we pray for it. But we are encouraged to pray for it. So this is something that uniquely shows that these apostles are carriers of a wonderful message of new life. What they do in those miracles points to every believer's future through Jesus when we meet him in the new heavens and the new earth. Life. Um, without any evil around, without any uh, brokenness, no more healing required, life restored as it should be. Now the high priests look on and they look at this new life and they say this, I thought we dealt with Jesus' problem, we killed him. Now look what's happening, thousands of our favourite public donors and those who give us all their allegiance have switched allegiance and are now part of the Jesus movement. Our inner circle is losing power. This must be dealt with. Now, it's not that they couldn't see the power of the miracles and what they were pointing to, that the message of Jesus is where it's at. It's that they wouldn't see because it messed with what they held so precious. What about verse 18? Look at verse 18 there. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Okay. Uh, Which ones? We haven't got a clue, but we know they're probably having a praise party. Um, Now, remember, they don't know whether they're coming out or not. For all they know, they could be getting the chop the next day. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. This is great, isn't it? Because we're always trying to make ministry easier. We're surprised when serving Jesus is difficult or slow or uncomfortable or we get rejected. And here they were. They were faithful and they still got locked up. Are you ready for that? Are we ready for that as a church? They weren't doing it the wrong way. They didn't need to go on another training course. They hadn't got sin in their life. They expected opposition. Please, here's a sentence that might be helpful to you. Harmony is not necessarily blessing and opposition is not necessarily failure. And we have to sit there, don't we, for a second? Because so often we think that um, I'm only blessed by God when things are going swimmingly well. And if I'm facing opposition or difficulty, it must be because I'm doing something wrong or God's let the side down. That's not the case here. These guys got locked up. And they're not sitting there going... Is this what we get for being uh, faithful? Thanks ever so much, God. Now they're saying this is exactly what we expect for being faithful. Opposition all the way. Yet verse 18. Let's just read it again. Verse uh, Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Now God, on this occasion, wanted to keep them preaching. So he sends an angel. Does that quite a lot opens the door. Sorry, quite a lot in the Bible. Uh, it opens the door. Now, I would love more detail at this point. <laughs> it, all it says is two things. Open the door, so we don't know whether they marched out, ran out, danced out, brought them out. I don't know whether they... because it tells us later on that the soldiers were still there outside the door. So all you can imagine is that these soldiers who, who were standing there on guard and they're asleep like this. Now, if you were an apostle... I don't know. I'm speaking it just pure. Wouldn't you've wanted to go up alongside one of those soldiers like that and get a selfie, <laughs> or something like that? Or if you're Amy, you probably want to. If he's undo his flies or something, I don't know. Something like that. Do something. To, I don't know what you'd want to. Anyway, I'm just thinking, what on earth did they do? And I want more detail in it than verse 19 gives. It. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out, and says, "Go, stand in the temple courts." He said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. OK. Now, this isn't a, pro- a promise that God is always going to fix things when we face opposition. But one thing we do know from verse 20 is that the Lord always wants his people to get back at it. Go back to the same place where you were arrested from and get back telling the people all about this new life. You know, we can spend so much time needlessly asking, what does God want me to do with my life? Here's the answer. Get busy telling other people about the message of this new life. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, make this the big thing. As we go through this book of Acts, we're going to get almost bored hearing this one because it comes up again and again and again. It's really difficult to miss the priority that the Lord puts on this. And of course we need to remember that this is new life. It's not the old life rehashed with a re, re, with a religious slant. Anyone who is a Christian is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, which means we are by nature a radical counterculture. We're not centered sorry, we're not centered on ourselves anymore. We're centered on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our path is different, our plans are different, we are made new, our objectives and our goals are different. Now, if you're not yet a believer in here, just, just think about that for a second, because before you sign on the, on, the, the line with the, uh, on the dotted line for the Lord Jesus, he's not calling you to add him to your life. He's inviting you to say, I want Jesus to rebuild my life. I want new life with Jesus. So expect a bit of pushback. If you, if you take up that new life, you will get pushback. Perhaps you've got family members that you still find difficult to relate to since you became a Christian because when they knew you up until a point a certain point in your life where you were living for this thing and you were living, and that that was quite acceptable and polite and okay but then you became a Jesus freak then you became somebody who wanted to follow the purposes that Jesus had has for you in your life and immediately it creates tension i think of people who or in a stable family relationship, husband-wife, maybe boyfriend-girlfriend, that kind of thing, and one of them becomes a believer. That's really hard for that one who becomes a believer because they've moved to a new life. There's going to be tensions. There's going to be pushback from the person. They say, "Hold on, I, I signed up for this, and now you've gone there." But it's right that we follow Jesus, and it's right that we put him first. So expect pushback in our relationships, in our partnerships, in our friendships. And the question is, what will you do? Verse 21. At daybreak, they entered the courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. So here's scene number one. (laughs) Expect opposition. God rules through it. So keep speaking about Jesus. Let's go through the cycle again. Scene number two starts halfway through verse 21. Could somebody read uh, halfway through verse 21 down to the end of verse 32? For us, please. Somebody read that. (laughs) The high priest and his associates arrived in full assembly of the jail, the opposite. Wondering what this might mean to He said, Look, the men he put in jail are standing in the temple court. At that, the capture went with his officers and brought the He did not use force because they speak. He brought in and made to appear. He gave strict orders not, teaching. not to teach in his name. He filled Jerusalem with to make us guilty of and the apostles reply. We must obey God rather than human beings. Like our ancestors raised in the his I and killed by Hampton Great Hands. Bring Israel to repentance. Andrea, thank you very much for reading that. And I don't know whether like me, I, I just look on that section, this scene here. It's just pure comedy. Yeah, well, it would be pure comedy if it wasn't end, if it didn't end in torture, which it does do. But here they they're tried in the court. Um, well, let's dig into the de- de- uh, detail. Let's let's dig into the detail. So here you go. You've got this courtroom. Okay, the Sanhedrin all come in. They're in their robes of power, and they're all sit sitting there. Verse 21. We can see it at daybreak. They entered the temple courts. as the. Oh, sorry. Hold on. No, partway three. When the high priest and the associate, uh, I'll get to where I want to get to. Hold on. Not verse 21. Halfway through verse 21. Yeah. They called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. Okay. Go fetch the prisoners, those people that we ordered you to lock up yesterday. Okay. So they come back, verse 22. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back. And report it. I don't know whether you'd want to be that soldier. So they come back and they say, We've got three bits of good news and one bit of bad news. Uh, first bit of good news, we found the prison. Uh, the second bit of good news, the doors were locked. The third bit of good news, uh, the guards were still guarding. Okay, so where are the prisoners? Ah, well, that's your first bit of bad news. Uh, there was nobody inside the prison. And that little bit there, it talks about them being perplexed and greatly puzzled. Yeah, uh, all the clues were there that God had done something. Can't you see what's going on? But again, they don't want to see what's going on. Um, I was trying to imagine who would be. I, I, there's a guy in verse 25, and I was trying to figure out who in our congregation it would be. I think it would probably be, I reckon it would probably be Tommy. It would be Tommy sitting there going, <laughs> look, hey, look, there's the guys you locked up. You'll never guess where they are. You know, that place where you, where you first grabbed them and locked them up from, and that they're, they're out there doing the exact thing you told them not to do. <laughs> they're preaching you could you could do that part for me couldn't you i could imagine you yeah and so all the sanhedrin jump about the seats rush to the window look outside and guess what the apostles are back there preaching the word of this new life verse 27 having brought the apostle oh sorry they sent somebody to go and grab them again And having bought the apostles, verse 27, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And I wonder whether there was a little smirk on James and John's face as they sort of stood up in front of this bunch of 70 posh people. And they're all there. I don't know how many of the apostles were there. Maybe it was 12. I don't know. And they looked like, I don't know, maybe I'd I'd like to have seen it. Verse 28, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. What are you doing? Didn't you get the memo? There was one thing, only one thing we told you not to do. Only one thing not to do is teach in that name. You're making us guilty of that man's sin. Do you see what they can't do? There's one thing that the Sanhedrin just cannot face doing. It's all about the name. They can't even bring themselves to mention his name. As far as they're concerned, the apostles could work nicely, be generous, even heal people. Just don't use the name. Don't keep pointing them to him. You keep wanting to go on about him. Just don't do that one thing. What is your problem? What's the name? See, you find it hard to say it yourself, don't you? We need to become a lot more confident about using the name of Jesus. He is the point of contention. Him, who he is and what he has done. People don't mind us talking about faith and love and philosophical ideas, but start talking about Jesus as being the only place where it's at. And they will be furious with you. Peter got it right in verse 29. Look, Peter, the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Who does God want us to be talking about? He doesn't want you to be talking about your faith. He doesn't want you to be talking about morality. He wants you to be talking about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Verse three, there's this great gospel, uh, sorry, not verse three, uh, verse 29, 30, and 31. There's this great little gospel summary with three things that God has done raised, exalted, granted. Can you see it there? Peter and the other apostles. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. What God has done in offering his son as a sacrifice to pay the price of our sin, to break the power of sin, and to usher in forgiveness and grace to any person who would want it, what God has done to demonstrate that is raise his son. It is a proof That what Jesus has done to save and redeem is effective. And we were witnesses to this. But not not only has he saved, on top of that, he has been exalted. You see that there in verse 31. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour. It's who Jesus is now. He is the exalted son. That idea of prince and saviour is in another order of magnitude above the normal. He's just—he's not one amongst many. He is the prince, the saviour. All of our destinies, all of our lives are in his hands. That's how big he is. That's why we have to keep talking about him. Because he's the only way to be saved and he is the only Lord. And what else has done? God done? The end of verse 31 and that he might give or grant repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. God, through Jesus, has granted the opportunity for people to come to know his grace personally. So he is the one in whom salvation is found, and we won't stop speaking about him. We won't do it. He is the only hope for a dying and sin-torn world. We are driven by the historical and spiritual realities Of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And that's why they kept speaking. That is why they kept speaking. I read um, earlier this week of a fellow that many of you have heard of him. Uh, He's called Hudson Taylor. He was sort of like a major missionary out to, to China. Now, he knew a fair amount about being opposed both at home and abroad for trying to keep pressing out with this gospel message of Jesus Christ. He would often come back from China, quite often uh, go, go on tours around the UK preaching and teaching about the need to see millions of people reach with the gospel. On one occasion he was in Scotland and he told a little story about one of his experiences. Uh, he'd been out travelling by boat when somebody who was on the boat with him fell into the water and the guy couldn't swim very well and he started to drown. He was going to die. Uh, Taylor saw that right nearby there was a fishing boat that was doing some dredging. You know, they were got big nets and dragging with the nets to pull the fish up. So he screams out to the boat, "Boat, come over here and drag over in this area. A man is drowning. And the shout came back from the nearby fisher boat. Um, it, it's not my problem. It's not my problem. No, 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 no. no, no. It's, it, it, it's not about convenience right now, my mate. Somebody is dying. Get over here. Bring your fishing boat over. Drag your nets here and pull him up. Um, we're fishing and we cannot come. And so Hudson Taylor screams back, I will give you all the money that I have got. Please come and drag near here and rescue this man. The fishing boat slowly came round the side, pulled out its nets and then eventually dragged through and pulled out the body of the man who had now died. Um, And he told this in Scotland, and he sensed that as he was telling the story, the group there were indignant at these Chinese pagans for being so callous, so callous. And then he said to the audience who were listening, we condemn the heathen fishermen, but what of the millions we leave to perish? And that eternally too. The Lord Jesus commands you and me to go into all the world. Shall we tell him it's not convenient? We're too busy and we cannot go. He went on to say, it's no use to sing, waft, waft, ye winds winds the story, which was clearly an old favourite from back then. The winds won't waft the story, but perhaps they will waft us. You see, it's really quite pressing that, isn't it? I wonder whether you've picked up in this scene here what's actually happening. It seems as if the apostles are the ones who are on trial. But it's not. They could have stayed quiet. But when Peter spoke, um, he was doing something. What is it he was doing? For one last time, he was preaching the gospel to the same crowd of people who'd killed Jesus. Peter and the apostles in that room, they could have stayed quiet, but they put their neck on the line to speak up and preach the gospel. The Sanhedrin thought it was a trial. God thought it was a pulpit. Because that is the character and nature of our God. uh, He is always moving towards those who have been his enemies to say, please, one more chance, hear the message about Jesus. Uh, a well-known um, theologian from past centuries said this, William Temple. Christians are called to the hardest of all tasks, to fight without hatred, to resist without bitterness, and in the end, if God grants it so, to triumph without vindictiveness. And that's exactly what Peter and the apostles were doing there. And I wonder whether you've thought about this much. Perhaps our best opportunity is to speak up for Jesus, to go to the millions who are perishing, is when we're being unfairly accused, when they're opposing the message, when they're enraged or just trying to get you to shut up. Perhaps you've been respectful, perhaps you've been gracious, perhaps people have taken offense and they're telling you to be quiet and not speak anymore. Um, Listen, they may give you grief, but lovingly and graciously, those are the times sometimes that are best to speak about Jesus because you can give your reason for why he is so important to you and why you don't want to keep quiet about him. Because he is the one way of salvation and because God has told you to speak. So listen, This second scene, again, shows us those three things. Expect opposition. God rules through it. Keep speaking about Jesus. That's exactly what happened there. And third one, and finally, a little bit more quickly, last scene, the same thing happened. So could somebody read for us from verse 33 down to 42? Somebody read verse 33 down to 42? I've had a very long week. I've preached at least ten times this week. Help me, please. Please. Somebody read. Thank you. Gamaliel. Hey brilliant thank you and well read on that one. Now this was decision time. This was the pivotal moment. The Sanhedrin had just heard heard an impassioned plea from the apostle Peter, respond yourself. Don't be cut out from this new life. What will they do? Their eternities literally hang in the balance. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, repented. No, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. They go into total meltdown. Uh, They're spitting feathers. They just want to kill. Now, I've seen this before. I don't know whether you've seen this before. Uh, I remember nearly 20 years ago now, I was doing some, I was on a mission team in Greece. We were doing an open air preaching. We'd go day by day and we'd set up a speaker system. We got permits and permissions to do it. Uh, we'd set up a speaker system. There a team of about 10 or 15 of us, mainly Greek, but uh, in fact, there was more than that. It was about 25 of us um mainly greek few english people there that through drama through sketch through music and through some open air preaching we would be presenting the gospel to the crowds that gathered and unlike in england where people just want to walk on by in an embarrassed fashion over in greece greek people just want if there's a crowd there and something going on they gather it was not unusual for us to have 2 or 300 people come and gather I remember one night when we came to gather, and they loved the, the sketches, they loved the singing, but the second we started speaking about Jesus, a couple of local devotees to the local Greek Orthodox Church, they started to get very, very cross. Uh, they went right, looking up and down a, uh, the street and then found uh, a couple of the local Greek Orthodox pr- um, priests who were out having a drink and having a fag. They came down and they started getting really, really angry and a public disturbance started emerging right in the middle of this, this street. And I'm working on the sound desk at the time going, I'm not quite sure what to do. Do I turn us off? Do I turn us up? What do I do? And Dimitri, the guy who was the, the team leader, um, as usual tried to speak words of grace. After that. we'd finished doing what we were doing, uh, this angry mob surrounded him. The police turned up. Um, and I have to sit there, uh, stand there, and just watch Dimitri being shuffled off and put into uh, a police car. And I still, to this day, uh, day, don't know whether it was because they were trying to protect him or because they wanted to get rid of the message of Jesus. The rest of us, team, we have to dash back home, uh, back to where we were staying, and we didn't know what else to do. What do you do when you have a situation like that, when you've got your leader just been chucked in jail for speaking about Jesus? What do you do? Pray. And we just started to pray and started to pray. We I not got a clue what was happening. I was like, sure this must have happened in the Bible, but I wasn't expecting it really. Uh, So we're praying and we're praying. It goes dark. It's late at night. And into where we were staying walks Dimitri. And in the end, I don't know quite what had happened. He said it was really almost miraculous. A police officer of a higher level came in and said, this is all a waste of time. Just let him go, will you? Weird. But I still remember the fury on the face of those religious people, those establishments, people when they heard others talking about Jesus in a way they didn't want they would have killed him if the police hadn't taken him away they really would have, we went to another place and we got, thre- we got threatened and said um, uh, yes you can do your thing and you can talk about Christian values and everything like that but if you start preaching to us about Jesus we will crucify you in the street that was what, that was, what was said by an orthodox, um, Greek orthodox priest to us you see the hatred and here is the hatred right here Now, these guys, this Sanhedrin bunch, they weren't squeamish. They'd already um, killed Jesus. So the idea of them wanting to kill, it's not a vain and empty threat. And then another miracle, it's only a little one, but a little miracle occurs because this old fool Gamaliel stands up. He was one of the most respected teachers in the Pharisaical party. He was the kind of guy that if you wanted to have your arguments... Um, uh, listened to and heard what you do is you would quote Gamaliel backing up what you wanted to get across and in verses 34 through to 39 he makes this wonderfully oratorical speech that sounds so wise and seems so reasonable yet it's a tragic picture of spiritual blindness not for a second is he prepared to put his neck on the line and consider whether the miracles the prison break the authority of the teaching the new life people have received um the uh, uh, All all the examples of this new life breaking in, he's not even prepared to consider whether it it, it has happened. And then on top of that, he puts Jesus on the level of a common political uh, rebel called Thaddeus. But God uses his spiritual blindness in this situation... And by the end of it, verse 39 and 40, verse 39. So verse 38, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And in all the things that he said, that was the only bit that was true. The only bit that was true, and he probably didn't even realize it. So what will happen? Verse 40 and 41. His speech persuaded them they called the, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Doesn't that sound so easy to say? Do you realize what a flogging is? A flogging is being beaten within an inch of your life. They did that to Jesus. do you remember the 39 um, lash, lashes because they believed 40 would kill you? If you have, if you get flogged like that you can barely stand up. You, you, you'd be covered with open wounds on your back. Now, at this point, what do you expect the apostles to do? Do you expect them to sort of slip on home all quiet? Perhaps, you know, perhaps saying something like this, you know, uh, maybe God's telling us to dial this down a little bit for a while. You know, I've got to at least nurse my wounds and get through this what I'm facing. Perhaps we should lay low till the heat is off. Perhaps we need a little bit more training to make our message a little bit more acceptable so people won't be so enraged when we talk about Jesus. Oh, by the way, I just want to say that um, probably since the time I, I've, I started speaking to you this morning, somewhere in the world there is a Christian who has been brutally tortured because they love Jesus. That's happening right now. And I can't tell you what country it, it's in. It could be Eritrea or Haiti or India or Syria or Pakistan or North Korea. I haven't got a clue where it is, but right now this is happening. Don't forget that. This is real, people. This really is real. And the whole reason they tortured and the whole reason that they were so cruel, it was was the best thing they could do to try to get them to shut up. It was the Sanhedrin trying to send them the message, we're serious now. But it was a waste of time. You may as well have told the rain to stop raining. Why? Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin and decided to go home and nurse their wounds. Is that what it said? The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They're bleeding and they're praising. The things that this world considers a death sentence, pain, shame and dishonour, they delight in. Because they know that the Lord of grace can transform their sufferings into the big tapestry of his purposes being unstoppable to the end of the world. When it's done in his name, it's never wasted. And they're delighted that they get the privilege of standing for the one who'd stood for them and given them a future and an eternity. Verse 42, I love this. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, so in church and in house groups and around and about, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They knew that God wouldn't allow the message to be stopped. So they said, right, I'm on board with the Lord. You would have to kill them and bury them in a very deep hole to make them stop. So they never stopped. Now I had to pause at this point, And I'm just coming to the end here. And this is where I want you to think about now. I had to pause and think at this stop uh, point. They never stopped speaking about Jesus. What stops you and me? What do we allow to stop you and me speaking about the Lord Jesus? What gets in the way? You know, I recently read um, uh, a book called Tortured for Christ, story of a pastor in Romania just after the Second World War, when the country was being crushed by the communism coming in, and the church were the number one target. You know, they had states... State-organized churches and anybody who tried to preach the gospel uh, was immediately locked up. Pastors were locked up regularly. Whole church families, uh, members, whole families out of churches were locked up regularly, and yet they kept on preaching. It was wonderful. There's one, one great example. The one place you wouldn't go if you were a Christian. Was to a communist rally because they hated the Christians more than anybody else. And if you were fact, you know, if you were known to be a Christian at a communist rally, you weren't going to get out of that rally alive. So what they did, they came up with a cunning plan because they knew that the that the communists loved to hear about Karl Marx and all that kind of thing. So they produced a gospel tract to give to the communist rally. And the way it worked was because every every tract that had to be given out had to be authorized. So the first ten pages were just quote after quote of Karl Marx and all about how he was totally against Jesus. And so they would hand in this, this tract to be authorised, to be given out or to be sold at these communist um, communist rallies. And the authorizer would come back and stamp it because he'd read it up to about page seven and get bored. It's all about coal marks. Yeah, this one's safe as houses. The last ten pages, after the first ten pages, were all about how Jesus is so much better and he's the only one who can give, give eternal life. So what the Christians would do, the church would go in and they'd set up their stalls and they'd go in amongst this and they would get these, they'd say, look, Karl Marx on the front. They'd get people to pay for these tracts and people would start reading them. And then by the time they got to page 10, the Christians were long gone with lots of money to produce even more to give to more communists. Okay, Would you, if you were in that situation of stop preaching in communist uh, Romania, probably I wouldn't have come up with that. But they saw opposition as an opportunity, a springboard to speak more. They saw the things that would stop them speaking as the things that could actually give them a new and fresh opportunity. So let me ask that question again. What stops you? What stops me? What stops us speaking for Jesus? And I know that on many occasions it's simply because we don't want to miss a certain TV program. Or because we're fearful of what people say. Or because our hobbies, or we want to maintain, we don't want to lose any friendships. Or we're feared, fearful of being thought weird. Listen, I'm guilty along with that. But why don't we take all of those obstacles, take them off the shelf. Why don't we make a list of them and start saying, instead of seeing those as obstacles to me, reaching out and speaking about Jesus, how is it that... Some of those could be things that the Lord might use as a springboard to talk about him more. I'd love to do that now. I'd love to just sit us all down with a pen and paper. Let's get this list of things that stop us speaking about Jesus. Because really we don't have it that bad and we're probably not going to get flogged. Let's write that list and let's figure out how we can use that as a springboard to move forward speaking against him. It's likely that we're going to get more and more angry establishment coming at us over the next few years. We need to be training our youngsters, our current teenagers and children, that there's a good possibility that some of them may well get locked up for their faith or be not able to get a job because they're Christians. It's That's the way secular West is moving, and we shouldn't be surprised by that. We should expect opposition, but God rules through it, and we keep speaking about Jesus. I suppose what we want to do is come up with a list of things that we see as obstacles, And then say, how are we going to see them as windows of opportunity and then drive the bus of Jesus Christ through those little windows? That's what we need to do. So here we see again, expect opposition. God rules through it. So keep speaking of Jesus. Verse 28. I know we've gone past it, but I love that. Verse 28. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. My prayer, and I hope it's yours as well, is if we do nothing else with our life. We are part of a church family that fills, speak with the teaching of Jesus Christ, the risen and reigning Lord, that they may find salvation. Let's pray before we sing. Lord, we just want to thank you for this vivid and powerful section of your scripture that puts things in their proper place. Lord, your word is supposed to uh, give us faith and call us to faith. And that's what we hear today in this section. Lord, we praise you for the faithfulness of the apostles. We praise you even more that you ruled through the situations to ensure that the message of Christ kept on moving. It was unstoppable. Lord, there are so many times and ways we feel in our church family trying to do ministry here and Speak that things just bog us down and slow down, and there are times when we can wonder whether you are the unstoppable God. But we pray that you would give us, through your word here to, to us today, a real confidence that you are for us and with us, a real confidence that you're going to work through the opposition that we expect, that you rule over these things. And we pray for strength to be kept keeping speaking about this wonderful message of life in Jesus Christ. Please, even in these next couple of days, surprise us, Lord with people with whom we can speak, whether family, friends, work colleagues, youngsters or seniors who are at works that we're at. We pray that we would keep on speaking and filling speak with this message of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.